Welcome to Sermons of Grace with Pastor David Murphy of the Grace Baptist Church in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. Last week in our study of the book of Romans, Pastor Murphy showed us that the same power that resurrected Christ from the dead is working in the believer's life. Today, we'll see the potency of this resurrection power in a believer's life and its purpose. All right, turn with you. Bible speech to the book of Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. And we are going to be reading from verse number 1 uh, to verse number 5. And our focus will be on verse number 4 and verse number 5. Verse 1, chapter 6. But what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also in the likeness of his resurrection. But the point of the passage here is to link this new life with Christ's resurrection and to show you that it was Christ's resurrected power that conquered death and conquered sin and it does the same in your life and in my life as believers. Secondly, he now applies this truth to the believer and he says, even so we also, like as Christ, that's the term that he's using. Um, and by the way, that is something incredible. It's something astonishing. The same way it happened in his life, the same way it happened in your life. It's on par. That's a shocking statement. But the argument here in this passage is very clear that we are now being baptized into the body of Christ. We are now united with that power. See? And it's that power that gives us victory over sin. Could I say to you, and, and this is where the, I think the truth is vitally important here. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 to 20. Paul is praying for these believers. And he said, you know what? I want you to be enlightened in a certain realm of knowledge. And I am praying for you that God would open your eyes so you could comprehend and understand and be enlightened in three things. Number one, you know the hope of his calling. The hope of his calling. What hope God has called you to. Secondly, he said, you want, I want you to know the exceeding greatness. His glorious riches of the inheritance in the saints. And then thirdly said, I want you to know the exceeding greatness of his power to us word that believe. And then he adds, by the way, in the same passage, that that power towards us is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. 
Now, if that was not in the Bible, every one of us sitting here this morning would find it difficult to believe that that's what took place. But that's the argument Paul is saying in this passage. That same power is now operative in the believer's life. So God is at work in the believer from the time you got saved. Ephesians 2, 1 and 6. When we were dead, even when we were dead, God quickened us. See? Made us alive. How did he make us alive? Again, the resurrection power is what it took to make us alive. See? It's at work when we got saved, at conversion. I don't really think people really understand that. If you were saved here this morning, a miracle took place in your life, brother. You know, we count your salvation experience. We count it for just a moment. Can you see the hand of God in bringing you to faith? You should be able to walk back in your, in your history of your salvation and realize how God has worked to save you. I look back on my life because there are many, many times the enemy comes and tells you you're not saved. You know that. Never happened to you? <laughs> oh, yes, sir, it does happen. Take it from me. I've been visiting already in Barbados trying to witness the people, and the enemy got so much control of me, he said, how can you be telling people to be saved and you don't even show you're saved? I had to leave witnessing, go back to the church and bawl my heart up before God. Cry before God. See? It happens. So you have to be able to look. You know, Zacchaeus can always go back to that tree and remember, you know, this is the place I met Jesus. See? He called me down. He can go back to those landmarks. And you and I ought to be able to look back in our lives and can see the hand of God and how you got saved. I won't give you my story because you've probably heard it before. But I can tell you one thing. It took a mother who was unsaved to get me to go to church. It took a, a preacher from St. Vincent to come to church that one night. And he took that preacher to preach a message of something I was involved in, the man just put salt in me. I thought the man, somebody had told the man about myself. But he was a Vincentian. I can tell you what message he preached. I can tell you what happened to me in the service. I hope you can look back and see the hand of God and the power of God in your life. Because you will need that, sir, at some point in your life. And the Apostle Paul is saying it here in this passage, clearly, this same power is at work in your life. And we learn from Ephesians, it's at work for your very, he made you alive. He quickened you. His power woke you up from a deep sleep. And you began to embrace the truth. What a glorious work this is. Not something casual and mundane. There's something supernatural that Paul is talking about. In, but can I say this? This work of the, God, of the power of God starts at our conversion. But may I tell you this? That's just the beginning. It continues in the believer. You know what Paul said? He which hath begun a good work in you will do what? 
perform it until next week. Perform it until two years, three years, until the day of Jesus Christ. This is an ongoing work in the believer's life. Once you are saved and you are justified before God and the power of God has raised you from the death of sin, that work will continue until Christ returns. It's a continuous work in the believer's life. So Paul is saying to the believer here because of a linkage between Christ's resurrection and this newness of life, this is something that this power continues. It's not something that starts and then stops and then ends. It's continuous. I want to show you what this continuous work of God in our lives, what it does. And what God is doing. Because I think sometimes we miss the fact. We think we got saved and, you know, we must work it out now. And we must know stuff like that. You know, we don't understand that when God saves you, he's continuing to work in your life. He's pouring you. and this, look at Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 21 for just a moment. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse uh, 20 and 21. He says, now the God of peace that brought again from the dead the Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd through the, uh, uh, shepherd of sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant. Notice verse 21. Make you perfect in every good work to do his will. Working in you. You see that? Working in you. This work that began at your conversion continues. He's working in you. And what is he doing? Perfecting every good work in you. The word perfecting, by the way, is catarazo. And it means really equipping you to some end. And of course, what Paul is talking about, if you read the text, is equipping your perfecting for service. That's what he's at work in your life doing. Equipping you for you to serve him and to be involved in ministry. That's what he's saying. You see the word working? The word there is the word poyo in the Greek language. Working that which is well-pleasing. And I want, I want to read what Vine says about this particular word. This is what it says. He said to do, in, in the same verse, that is to adopt a way of expressing by act the thoughts and feelings. And what he's really getting at is this. God has some thoughts and God has some feelings he wants to express. But he wants those, those things acted out. How do you think he's going to act it out? Can you see God's thoughts? Can you see God's feelings? No, you can't. How can I know what the head is thinking? By what the body does. And that's the point. See, God is acting out in the body his thoughts and his feelings. In other words, you are the visible instrument, the agent in God's hand, to display God and display this new nature that God has given to you. But notice, it is He that is prompting you to do it. See, 
That's what he's saying. He's perfecting you. And he's doing it in you. It's not you doing it. What Paul is getting at here, and I hope you don't miss it at all. He's saying this work that began at your conversion is a continuing, ongoing work in your life. God's work, power is at work in your life. He's perfecting you and he's doing this work in you. What a glorious truth that is. What a glorious truth that is. But here's the problem when you tell people that. Well, pastor, if it is true that God is working through me, and there's a common expression, you've probably heard it said that what we need to do now is to let go and let God. As though we don't have a part in this whole thing. And that's the danger of teaching a biblical truth like this because people go to the extreme. Well, pastor, if God is at work in me, I can't do anything until God does it. And Paul has to correct that. If you turn with me to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3, verse 12 and 13. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. He says, verse, wherefore, my beloved, have you always obeyed not at my presence only, but also much more in my presence Work out your own salvation with what? Fear and trembling. And then he says, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. You, you see the two things there? The word work is used twice. And Paul is saying in one case of the believer, work out your salvation. And then he says, it's God that works in you to do his will and his good pleasure. So what's the problem there? What he's setting to understand is this. We are co-lorbers with God. And God never intended because he's working in your life that you just don't do anything yourself. You have a role in this matter. And by the way, there are two different words for work in this passage. The first word when he said work out your salvation is the word katagazomai. You know what that means? It means to work something, to put something to work. He's not saying calculate how you get saved. Work it out how you get saved. No, no, no. He's saying work out what you already have. Put it to work as a believer. See? That's our role. So we're not idols people when it comes to this whole matter. There's a human aspect to this matter of divine work in the believer's life. See? There are things that we have to do. We, know, we don't have to ask God certain questions. You know that? The Bible tells you exactly what God's will is. So you don't have to ask God, should I go to church? That's a stupid question. See? You don't have to ask God, should I live a clean life? That's a stupid question. See? Lord, should I commit adultery? You don't ask those, those things. Are, so what we do, our role is to know what God's will is and to live out our salvation. Put it to work in that regard. I think we all understand that. But the second word that is used here in the text, and is it not the same word, katagamazio? You know what the word is? In verse number uh, 13, for it's God that worketh in you. You know what the word is? This is the word, and tell people the energio. That's the Greek word, energio. The word we get the word what? Energy from. See? 
So what are you saying here is God's energy, his work, his, his power is at work you to both to will and to do his good pleasure. What a profound truth that is. What a profound truth that is. His energy. Two different words in the text. Emphasizing the power of God in the believer's life. This is how we translate that passage in verse number 13. For God is the one who is constantly putting forth his energy in you. Well said. Because it's in the linear tense or what is called the present tense or the indicative tense and it's actual continuous action. His power is continuously energizing you. That's what he's saying. And you know why that happens? Because we participate of the resurrection power of Christ when we were united to the Holy Spirit by the Holy Spirit into the body. That power now is in us. See. And by the way, there are two problems that we have. Why people are so deficient in not doing certain things. Number one, they lack desire. The desire is there. And then number two, they lack the performance. They lack the dynamism. But yet this particular verse is saying that God gives us both the desire and the power to do his good pleasure. Did you hear that? God gives us both the desire and the power to do his pleasure, his good pleasure. So, I don't have a desire. Well, God gives you the desire and God gives you the power to do it. So, the deficiency that the man has who is not saved, he lacks a desire to serve God. He doesn't have the power to serve God. Paul says, that is taken care of by, by the Holy Spirit. When you became part of the body of Christ, the resurrection power of Christ ensured that your desire and your power is available to do God's good pleasure. You see why it's so important to get to this passage of scripture to understand where the believer is because I, I meet people all the time. I, look, there's some people who tell me they're Christians. I quite, quite frankly that they must be the only ones that believe they're Christians. Serious. They live defeated lives. They're habitually in. I can think of one person right now that every time I think of this person, I'm saying to myself, it's impossible for a man like that to be saved. I mean, how can a man, how can a man like that be saved? How can he continue living that way and be saved? And giving all kinds of frivolous excuses. You know? it, it bothers me in that respect. Because when I come to a passage script like this, and I see he has no victory in his life. Everything is defeat, 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 defeat. No victory whatsoever. I said to myself, but where is the resurrection power? It's about time we wake up and understand what Christianity is. Understand what Christianity is. It's about a supernatural power in your life enabling you to live a life that's beyond the ordinary man because the power of God is at work in your life. This is where Paul is, is, is mentioned in this matter. So we talked about the power of the resurrection in relation to the Christ. And then we point at the potency of that power in our lives. That it starts our conversion. It's an ongoing process. It will continue until and then 
the, the purpose for which this is all designed. To give us the motivation, to give us the power to do God's will and God's good pleasure. God is at work for that purpose. See? And then thirdly, I want you to notice the purpose that is given in, in Romans chapter 6 and verse number 4b. For all of this that Paul is talking about. He said, wherefore we are buried with him by baptism into his death. That as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also shall walk, what? In newness of life. Now, I want to say to you that when you read the King James Version, the word should, should, in this passage, actually, it puts us off track of what Paul is teaching. The, 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 ver the word seems to suggest that we are somehow have some moral obligation to live this new life. Now in reality we do have in a sense this moral obligation. But it's not what's being taught there. Paul is not saying well you know because of what I'm telling you. You now have a. You should have a moral obligation to feel that you need to live this. That's not what Paul is saying. Now we know that it's true. If God is. Paul will bring that out in, in uh, chapter 12. He said what. Because of the mercy of God, you do what? You present your bodies. You're, you're almost obligated because of what is mercy. To, that's a, you should do it. But that's not what Paul is teaching here. What Paul is here teaching is this. The reason why the resurrection power of Christ is potent in your life is for the purpose of you living out this new life. Not that you are obligated to, but this is the whole purpose of it. See the difference between I feel I'm up and understand what God's purpose is? A subtle distinction. But you miss it if you don't know the Greek language. It's a purpose clause that Paul is emphasizing. That the whole reason for this happening in your life is that you would live out this new life that is in you. Not that you should do it. That's not what he's saying. But you must do it. That's the purpose of it. I would quote to you what Dr. Weiss said in his New Testament expository words, dictionary expository words. This is what he says. Weiss says, he says that this clause is in the subjunctive mood and it's introduced by a, uh, what is called a purpose particle called henna. The Greek word henna. That always speaks of purpose. See? And that's what he's trying to say. That the believing in that this is why you were saved. That's why you were saved. God saved you to live out this new life. It's a tragedy. A real tragedy. That people miss this whole purpose. You know what people tell people today about why they get saved? People get saved because they want to be happy. You know what people get saved? People get saved, well, you, I want to be healthy. I want to be prosperous. People get saved because they want wealth. They want a trouble-free life. People get saved because they want success. These are things that the church tells people to kind of uh, butter them up, to, to kind of twist their arm to get them into the church. Oh, you want happiness? You want prosperity? You want health? You want a trouble-free life? 
You want to be successful? You need Jesus. But it's not the purpose why people are saved. We get to the wrong motive. So when they come into the Christian church now, and they're looking for these things, they can't find them, they're gone. We haven't told them the truth of why they were saved or why they come to Christ. They come to Christ so that the new life that God gives them is lived out before men. That's why you come. And this is what the Apostle Paul is emphasizing here in this particular passage. He is drawing attention to the fact that this is the purpose for which a person has this power of God in his life. And notice the word that you might walk in this newness of life that Paul talks about. And the word walk, by the way, is the word that has to do with your behavior. It has to do with your conduct. In the vernacular, we're talking about it's your lifestyle. That's how we would use it in the, in the passage. And Paul is now saying this new life that has entered into you as a believer that was given to you because you share in the resurrection power of Christ is designed by God for you to live it out, walk it before people, let people see it. That's the whole reason for it. And it's a life, by the way, that we are called to be a life of holiness. I repeat, God saved you to be like him. And he said, be holy as I am holy. He's trying to create an image as it were, that you reflect his image of holiness. I can't emphasize too much that we must get people when we're giving them the gospel and we're bringing them forward and telling them to close their eyes and say a little prayer. I cannot emphasize too much that you must first of all let those persons know that you, listen sir, you understand what you're doing? You are repenting of your sins. What, what does that mean? It means that you're turning your back from your sins and you're going to live a life of holiness. That's what you tell them. You don't tell them, well, bow your head and say a little prayer and Jesus come into your heart and then you'll be okay. Who wouldn't do that? But you know, tell him what this means, sir. Let me just tell you something. This is a serious decision you're making. It means, are you willing to turn your back on your sin? Are you willing to live a holy life? Could I tell you this? If he is not, not saved. He can, he can say as many prayers as he wants to. As many prayers as he wants to. He has no lot in this matter whatsoever. And that's why the church is responsible for the damnation of so many people. We don't tell them the truth on these matters. So we see what happens that we have a crusade and people make decisions and they come forward and so on and so forth. But we don't see them afterwards. Why? It is not real. It is simply not real. But they said a prayer. Anybody can say a prayer. Anybody can say a prayer. Look, when I got saved that night, there was no doubt in my mind what I was doing, my brother. For the first time, I came to grips with my awful, wicked, evil sin. And it was very clear to me, I have to leave that and live a life pleasing unto God. I know that. Did you know that? Did you know that? 
The Apostle Paul is emphasizing in this passage that the whole reason for this resurrection power of God being put in our lives, not only at our initial act of conversion, but a continuous work of God in our lives to cause us to will and to desire and to do the energy of God, as it were, is in our lives. For what purpose? That we may walk in newness of life. That we would demonstrate in our behavior, in our lifestyle, the new life that we have. That's the goal of the Christian faith. And the essence of it is this. It is walk in the way of holiness. Holiness. I want to quote what the great theologian Charles Hodge said on this matter. This is how he puts it, and I want to quote. Listen to what he said. He said, there can be no participation in Christ's life without participation in his death. I think we understand that. But notice the next thing. And we cannot enjoy the benefits of his death unless we are partakers of the power of his life. Wow. You digest that for just a moment. Think about that for just a moment. That's a powerful, powerful statement. But he doesn't stop there. He says, we must be reconciled to God in order to be holy. We cannot claim to be reconciled without thereby being holy. In other words, the proof of our reconciliation is the holy life that we live. That's what he's saying. This is, in essence, the Apostle Paul making the same statement. The outstanding uh, contemporary expositor John MacArthur puts it even more bluntly and tersely when he said these words. And listen to what he said. He said, as Christ's resurrection life was the certain consequence of his death. Get that? As Christ's resurrection life was the certain consequence of his death, so the believer's holy life is a consequence of his death to the sin nature. Wow. I don't think we fully understand and I don't think we are fully preaching this whole matter that the new life, the walk of the new life that God is, is a life of holiness before him and holiness before man. That is what God wants from you and that's what God wants from me. He wants us to live out this new life and to practice this new life by a life of holiness. I quote one other brilliant scholar by the name of uh, Hadley Moole. He puts it very graphically, and this is how he, he puts it. And again, I, I can't put it in words better than these men, so I must quote what these men said. He said, we have received the reconciliation that we may now walk, let this, not away from God as if we leave to a prison, but with God as children. In other words, God didn't set you free for you to go off on your own and get away from God and live as you please. God set you free so that you may walk with him as a child because you were somebody's child before. Your father was a devil. And when Christ saved you, he brought you from under his kingdom, put him in his, so he didn't save you to walk away from him, but to walk with him. He goes on to say these words. Because we are justified, we are to be holy, separate from sin, separated to God. We were justified for this very purpose that we might be holy. That's the new life, a holy life. And then 
he said something that was quite amusing to me, but uh, so applicable. He said, the grapes upon a vine are not merely a living token that the tree is a vine or alive. He said they're the product for which the vine exists. You get that? The reason why grapes are on the tree is not to say that's a grape tree. It's not to say that, you know, uh, it's alive. The grapes are there because that's the purpose for the tree, to produce grapes. What he's basically saying is this. You know, you're not just a Christian to say that you're a Christian or, or, you know, you're there because your life is the whole purpose why you were saved as a believer. This holy life that is expected of the believer. So the gist of what the Apostle Paul is saying in this passage is that the purpose for our union with Christ in his death and his resurrection is that that work in our lives might result in the new life being lived out before men by the holy lifestyle that we demonstrate before men. By the way, this is why the Apostle Paul keeps on saying in his epistles, put on the new man, put on the new man, put on the new man, you know. And then, he, but he said, before you could put on the new man, he said, put off the old man. Look, it's like me. If I took off this shirt this morning, the old shirt, then I got to put on the new shirt. See, that's what he's saying. Take off that old shirt, that old way of living that you used to have. Put it aside. Put on the new man. See, put it on. See? And you know why you can put it on? Because the resurrection of power of Christ in your life, because you're united to him by the baptism of the Holy Spirit, gives you the desire and the power to put it on. See? This is what Paul is bringing about in this passage. You know, when you read a verse, a scripture like this, and you study the passage, and you understand what the teaching is, there are one or two things that you must do. You can say, praise God, or you can say, owe me. Those are the only two results of a sermon like this and a pastor like this. Oh God, thank you so much for your power in my life. Oh me. Here I am claiming to be a believer, and I know nothing of this power. Ah, my friend, where do you fit in this morning? Oh me! Oh glory! Where do you stand on these matters? The Apostle Paul wants the believer to know that he not only shares in the death of Christ and therefore the sin nature has been severed and he's dead to the sin nature. But Paul wants you to know that's the negative part of it. You're not compelled to sin. But there's something else Paul said. You have this new life in you. Positively demonstrate to people that you are a new person. So this is the positive aspect. Of, it's not like, you know, that's the problem of Christianity. It don't, 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 don't do this, don't do that. But that's not the, that, that's the gist of Christianity. Don't drink, don't smoke, don't gamble, don't sleep around, don't do this. All these don'ts. Nothing wrong with the don'ts, but that's 
not what Christianity is about telling you not what not to do. It tells you what to do as well. Love people. Don't use them. Don't use them. When somebody comes to you for help, don't take advantage of them because you are in a position of power. You use that position to help them. Look, let me just tell you this, right? I, there's a home over there that my heart is troubled over. Um, I can't tell you how I'm deeply troubled by the situation. And I wish that somehow I could take, uh, had somebody that uh, could help some of these people in there. Honestly, especially the young girls. They don't have to live that kind of a way. But my question is this. How many businessmen would take these women in and give them a job would not want to get under the dress? That's how it is. It's an evil world. They don't mind helping them, but they want something in exchange. Christian is not like that. The Christian becomes concerned about these people and they will never think of using that person but because I help them, I must use them. You do it, you don't want anything in return as a believer. That is acting out Christianity. See the difference? What a glorious Christian faith this is. What power this is in our lives. And I thank God that he didn't just save me and left me, but this ongoing energy, this unknown to create in me the desire and the power to do his will and his good pleasure. Wow. You know what that tells me? You can meet the worst of men. And if you can bring into faith and trust in Christ, that same power can trans, no matter what his condition is whatsoever. He's a new man and a new woman. Are you saved this morning? Put your hand over your heart. Do you know what I'm talking about? Or do you sit there this morning saying, you lost me, pastor. You lost me completely. I, I don't understand a thing you're saying. Could I say to you, it's not a problem of the head. It's a problem of the heart. See? These are simple truths. Simple truths. As believers... Let us not be content to live at a lower level. Let us elevate and understand that the power of God is expecting us to live out this new life. So when you leave here this morning and you go back and you're thinking about work on Monday, ask yourself the question, what can I do this week that I didn't do last week to, to, to put this new life on display? What is it? Did you, were you angry because you didn't get what you were trying to say? And it may have No, you become calm. And they wonder, well, wait a minute. This is the same person I met last week. And then they ask him, what happened to you? Well, sir, I'm living out the new life of Christ in me. And quite frankly, I'm so, so terribly sorry that the way I've been dealing with I've forgotten. I've forgotten who I am, what he is, and how he's working in my life. See? You do that, and you might cause the person to run into the church next Sunday morning. See? This is what we need. 
This is what we need as believers. This new life. Walking before men, this new life. Parading it before men. That they may see your heavenly Father and glorify Him which is in heaven. Because He knows they know one thing. That's not the ordinary person. That's not the person I knew before. This is a different man I'm dealing with. Something has happened. What's the secret, sir? The power of God in my life. Lifestyle evangelism is what Paul is talking about. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. And thank you that you've taken us from the negative to the positive, from death to dealing with life, and to dealing with power that you have and that you have given to the believer and is operative in the believer's life. We not only shared in Christ's death, and therefore we became dead to the sin nature, but we also share in Christ's resurrection so that this new power in our lives would enable us to live out this new life before men as we walk before them in holiness and righteousness. Thank you for your word this morning. May it seep deep between the cracks and the crevices of our lives. May it soak into the very center of our soul. And may it create a storm in our lives that revolutionizes us. And bring us back to an understanding of who we are. What we're supposed to be. And the power that's available to us to make this happen. That our whole purpose of being saved. The reason why we're saved is that this new life may be lived out before men. Forgive us for misunderstanding what our purpose was. We thought it was to escape hell. We thought it was to be happy, to be secure. Those are the fridge benefits. That's not the main purpose. Work in our lives, O oh Lord. Move us from where we are to where you want us to be. Change us from who we are to who you want us to be. Make us what you want us to be. Change and transform us and use us for your glory. Continue that great work that began at Calvary and it began at our conversion and continues in our lives. Create the desire and give the power to do your will and your good pleasure. May we leave this place this morning understanding that we're not helpless people. We're not hopeless like the world is. We are the sons of God with the power of God in our lives working in us to do God's will and God's good pleasure. Encourage us through your word. Use it for your glory and for your most holy ends. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Be sure you join us again next time here on Sermons of Grace as Pastor Murphy continues our study of Romans chapter 6. If you'd like to contact Pastor David Murphy or Grace Baptist Church, please call 268-462-4230 or visit during one of their service times. Sunday school is at 9 a.m., Sunday morning at 10 a.m., Sunday evening at 7 p.m., or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Grace Baptist Church is located on Rowan Henry Street in Gambles Terrace, Antigua.